0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Boyd Group Services, Inc. fourth quarter year-end 2020 results conference call. Listeners are reminded that certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties relating to Boyd's future financial or business performance. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. The risk factors that may affect results are detailed in Boyd's annual information form and other periodic filings and registration statements. And you can access these documents at CDAR's database found at CDAR.com. I'd like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. I would now like to introduce Mr. Tim O'Day, President and Chief Executive Officer of Boyd Group Services, Inc. Please go ahead, Mr. O'Day.
1: Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's call. On the call with me today are Pat, Pat Patty, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, and Brock Bulbuck, our Executive Chair. We released our 2020 fourth quarter and year-end results before markets opened today. You can access our news release as well as our complete financial statements and management discussion and analysis on our website at www.boygroup.com. Our news release, financial statements, and MD&A have also been filed on CDAR this morning. On today's call, we will discuss the financial results for the three-month period ended December 31, 2020, provide a general business update, and discuss our long-term growth strategy. We will then open the call for questions. On January 22nd, 2020, we completed the conversion of the Boyd Group Income Fund to a corporate form reporting as Boyd Group Services, Inc., effective January 1, 2020. While this was an important change, it does not impact or change the underlying business or operations of Boyd. On January 2, 2020, I was appointed President and CEO of Boyd Group Services, Inc., and concurrent with this change, Brock Bulbuck moved into the role of Executive Chair. We are now over a year into our transition plan and it has progressed very well and as planned. Brock has provided me with great support, which has been incredibly helpful during the challenging times that arose during 2020. Well, the past year began as expected. Near the end of the first quarter, the COVID-19 pandemic brought uncertain economic and business conditions. The steps our team has taken since the onset of the pandemic have consistently positioned us well during these unprecedented times, and our 2020 results reflect the impact of these efforts. Through a prudent management of expenses, a focus on liquidity, and our ability to adjust capacity relative to changes in demand, we have posted respectable results in spite of the declines in revenue caused by COVID-19. Throughout the year, we continued to adjust our business in accordance with the changes in demand for our services First, decreasing, and then subsequently adding back production capacity as demand for collision repair services rose. As we navigate through this pandemic environment in 2021, our priorities remain taking care of the health and safety of both our team members and our customers and ensuring that we are prepared for the future that lies ahead. We continue to focus on health and safety practices, such as contact-free customer drop-off and pickup. Enhanced vehicle and facility cleaning practices, social distancing, and wearing of pers- personal protective equipment to keep our employees and customers safe. We continue to follow key practices that include deep cleaning of facilities where an employee or potential with a potential or confirmed case of COVID-19 is identified, as well as defined processes for quarantine and testing in situations of potential exposure to help prevent the spread of the virus. For the year ended December 31, 2020, we reported sales of $2.1 billion, a decrease of 8.5% over the prior year, driven by same-store sales declines of 15.6%, partially offset by contributions from new locations that had not been in operation for the full comparative period. The decrease in the same-store sales percentage was impacted by the business slowdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic that began in mid-March of 2020. Same-store sales declines in Canada were significantly higher than same-store sales declines in the US, which reflects more significant restrictions as well as the continued slower economic reopening in Canada when compared to the US. Gross margin increased to 46% of sales compared to 45.4% in the comparative period. The gross margin percentage was positively impacted by higher labor margins, primarily due to the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy Program in Canada, which more than offset incremental COVID-19 labor costs, and workforce workforce management in the U.S., as well as a favorable mix of retail glass sales and normal variability in DRP pricing. The recognition of SU's related to direct labor was approximately $7.1 million for the year ended December 31st, 2020, which positively impacted the gross margin percentage and importantly, allowed us to retain employees that would have otherwise been temporarily laid off. Operating expenses decreased 48.2 million when compared to the same period of the prior year primarily due to COVID-19-related cost reductions, such as staffing reductions, salary and other compensation adjustments, and reductions to other variable expenses. Operating expenses benefited from the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy of approximately $9.8 million, recorded as an offset to applicable indirect wages. Again, this program allowed the company to retain employees that would have otherwise been laid off. Adjusted EBITDA for the year ended December 31, 2020 was $293.6 million compared to $319.9 million in the same period of the prior year. The $26.3 million decrease was the result of the business slowdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, including operating expenses that could not be mitigated in relation to the decline in sales, such as property taxes and utility costs. We reported net earnings of 57.7 million compared to 64.1 million in the same period prior year. Adjusted net earnings per unit decreased from 4.83 to 2.57 in adjusted net earnings per share. These amounts were significantly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, which resulted in reduced sales levels. In addition, relatively fixed levels of depreciation and amortization as well as increased finance costs, negatively impacted adjusted net earnings and adjusted net earnings per share in 2020. The equity offering, although positioned us well for the future, also had a negative impact on adjusted net earnings per share in 2020. Now, moving on to our Q4 results. During the quarter, we recorded sales of 526 million, a 10.2% decrease when compared to the same period of 2019. Our same-store sales, excluding foreign currency exchange, decreased by 12.6% in the fourth quarter. Same-store sales declines in Canada continued to be significantly higher than the same-store sales declines in the U.S., which, again, reflects a continued slower economic reopening and more significant restrictions in Canada when compared to the U.S. Gross margin was 45.8% in the fourth quarter of 2020, compared to 45% that was achieved in the same period of 2019. The gross margin percentage increased as a result of improved labor margins, as well as variability in DRP pricing arrangements, and the recognition of SUEs related to direct labor, which was approximately 1.0 million for the three months ended December 31st, 2020. Operating expenses for the fourth quarter of 2020 were 162.5 million, or 30.9% of sales, compared to 30.7% in the same period of 2019. While many operating expenses were managed in relation to the decline in sales, certain expenses could not be reduced, such as property taxes and utility costs, which increased as a percentage of sales. Late in the third quarter, as revenues became more stable, we brought back support resources that had been laid off at the onset of the pandemic, which increased our expense relative to the prior quarter. Adjusted EBITDA, or EBITDA adjusted for fair value adjustments to financial instruments and costs related to acquisitions and transactions, was $78.4 million, a decrease of 6.7% over the same period of 2019. The decrease was primarily due to the slowdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, including operating expenses that could not be mitigated. In addition, adjusted EBITDA for the three months ended December 31, 2020, benefited from the SEWS in the amount of approximately $2.3 million. Net earnings for the fourth quarter of 2020 was $21 million, compared to $14.3 million in the same period of 2019. Excluding fair value adjustments and acquisition and transaction costs, adjusted net earnings for the fourth quarter of 2020 was $18.9 million, or $0.88 cents per share, compared to adjusted net earnings of $23.8 million, or $1.19 per unit in the same period of the prior year. The decrease in adjusted net earnings per share is primarily attributed to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic as well as a higher number of shares outstanding as a result of the equity offering in 2020. At the end of the year, we had total debt, net of cash, of 685.6 million, compared to 672 million at September 30th, 2020, and 893.2 million at the end of 2019. At the onset of the pandemic, we faced significant uncertainty regarding the extent and duration of the impact of COVID-19 on our business. In addition to acting quickly to reduce our expenses, we further address the uncertainty by drawing down on our credit facility and raising equity to ensure that our balance sheet could withstand the impact of the pandemic and be prepared for growth as conditions stabilize. As conditions have stabilized, the impact of COVID-19 has become better understood Boyd has made repayments of $907.4 million during the year ended December 31st, 2020 to reduce the level of outstanding debt. Based on the strength of and confidence in our business, we announced an increase to our dividend by 2.2% to 56.4 cents per share on an annualized basis beginning in the fourth quarter of 2020. This is the 13th consecutive year we've increased dividends to shareholders. During 2021, the company expects to make cash capital expenditures within the range of one6 to 1.8% of sales. This excludes those capital expenditures related to acquisition and development of new locations, the investment in environmental initiatives, such as LED lighting, and the investment in the expansion of WOW operating way practices through the corporate applications and process improvement efficiency project. During 2020, the company invested approximately $3.5 million in LED lighting in order to reduce energy consumption and enhance the shop work environment. Continued investment in LED lighting will not only provide environmental and social benefits, but also achieve accretive returns on invested capital. Additionally, the company has begun to expand its WOW operating way practices to corporate business processes. The related technology and process efficiency project will result in a total of $78 million invested over the next nine months and will also be expected to streamline various processes as well as generate economic returns after the project is fully implemented. This initiative began in the third quarter of 2020 and thus far has incurred approximately $2 million in capital costs. Thus far, we've been able to successfully adjust and manage through the challenging situation that has arisen as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our efforts have continued to deliver strong operating cash flow during 2020, notwithstanding the substantial decline in the revenues caused by COVID-19. Following the pause on acquisition activity that began in late March, we resumed activity in mid-August of 2020. The company added 39 locations through acquisition, including one intake center, 10 locations opening as operating as intake centers, and five startup locations for a total of 54 new locations. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact our business. Thus far in the first quarter of 2021, same-store sales activity is at a similar level to that achieved in the fourth quarter of 2020. Canada continues to have tighter restrictions and slower economic reopening when compared to the US. This has had and continues to have a significant impact on same-store sales activity in Canada. These declines have been partially offset by the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, which has been extended to June of 21. VOID will continue to make applications under the program as long as eligibility criteria are met. However, amounts expected to be received in 2021 will be significantly lower than those recorded in 2020 due to program changes announced to date. In the US, sales activity has experienced variability throughout the various states in which we operate. Variability has been caused by different levels of restrictions by states, a significant surge in COVID-19 infections, and unusual weather events in southern states, which contributed to power outages in Texas. Certain operating expenses and personnel costs, along with the continued reduced demand for services, will continue to impact the levels of adjusted EBITDA that can be achieved during 2021. Overall, we are well-positioned to navigate through this challenging environment, and we remain committed to our five-year growth strategy, through which we plan to double the size of our business on a constant currency revenue basis from 2021 to 2025, based on 2019 revenues. In order to achieve this, we will continue to pursue accretive growth through a combination of organic, and same store sales growth, as well as adding new locations to our network in the United States and Canada. New location growth will continue to include single location acquisitions, as well as brownfield and greenfield startups, and multi-location acquisitions. Additionally, to reduce volatility from exchange rates, effective January 2021, as previously announced, Boyd will begin reporting results in U.S. dollars. Given that almost 90% of our revenues come from the U.S., this makes sense as an appropriate currency for reporting purposes. Despite dealing with the impact of the pandemic, we moved several other important initiatives forward in 2020 that we will build on in the coming years. We increased our focus on ESG with investments in energy-saving LED lighting, which reduces energy consumption and improves the work environment. We implemented updated diversity training and are preparing to establish broader diversity goals for our business. Our board is leading this and has committed to have at least 30% of our board be women within the next three years. As always, operational excellence remains central to our business model and with continuous improvement in our WOW operating way, we continue to work to drive excellence in repair quality, customer satisfactions, and repair cycle times to ensure that the continued support of our insurance partners and vehicle owners. Additionally, the company has begun to expand its WOW operating way practices to corporate business processes, an initiative that began in the third quarter of 2020 and is expected to streamline various processes as well as generate economic returns. We also announced that Al Davis, who's been on our board since 2005 and served as our chairman for the past nine years, will not seek re-election to our board. I'd like to thank Al for his dedicated service and, in particular, for his support and guidance to me over the past 15 months. In conjunction with Al's planned retirement, the board has nominated David Brown as incoming independent chair, subject to his re-election at the upcoming general and special meeting. Additionally, Bob Espy, CEO of Parkland Corporation, has been nominated and will stand for election to the board. I look forward to working with Dave as incoming independent chair and Bob as a new member of our board. In summary and in closing, I continue to be incredibly proud of our team who have adjusted to the new environment and positioned us well for the future. We've been able to adjust our business to manage through this challenging situation. We continue to believe that there will be many opportunities that come from this crisis, both internal and external, and we put ourselves in a good position to come out of this crisis as a stronger company. Our priorities remain taking care of the health and safety of our team members and customers, as well as preserving our financial flexibility and preparing for the opportunities that lie ahead. With that, I would now like to open the call to questions. Operator?
0: Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Your first question will come from David Newman from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Your line is open
3: Good morning, good morning, Tim Paprock. How are you doing? Good. How are you, David? Very good. Um, it's on your days here. That's great. Uh, just looking at your uh, your your acquisition strategy overall. It seems like you've stepped up the intake and greenfield stra- strategy overall. So um, as you look as you're looking out, is that going to become a larger part of your strategy going forward in terms
1: of building out the intakes and greenfields? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it, it has always been a part of our strategy, but we we will increase our emphasis on greenfield and brownfields as a part of the overall mix.
3: And, and is there anything that came out of the pandemic? I mean, it's, it's an op, there's always a silver lining in everything, and everything, and there's always an opportunity to kind of, you know, reevaluate who you are, the insights, looking at the strategy. Any learnings that you that you came out of the pandemic beyond the obvious, in, in terms of your
1: forward long-term strategy uh, i don't really think it's changed our outlook on the long-term strategy you know i think we felt very good about our position as we went through the pandemic that we had a, a strong balance sheet that uh allowed us to manage the business uh effectively but you know without the concerns that uh, a company with a weaker balance sheet might have had uh, but it really hasn't uh, adjusted our perspective on the long-term opportunities that we have to continue to consolidate the industry. Okay, and last one from you guys. I, you know, obviously, cheap financing right now.
3: You know, as rates begin to climb, could you see more opportunities involved in terms of picking up assets, e- either PE-owned or otherwise? Obviously, your $1 billion in dry powder puts you in a very, very unique uh, position in North America. So anything that you see not in, in your pipeline that might be heating up,
4: Uh, We cannot make any forward-looking statement, uh, David, but as you pointed out, we do have tremendous financial flexibility, and uh, we have been actively pursuing acquisition opportunities. And as you pointed out, there are a bunch of P-owned companies, and uh, they do have a a finite time frame to harvest their investments. So so there could be opportunities out there.
3: Excellent. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, David.
0: Your next question comes from Chris Murray from ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
5: Thanks. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, Good morning, Chris. Just, just going back to your Q1 guidance, <clears throat> and maybe I'm just trying to understand this a little bit better. So you talked about same-store sales levels in line with what you saw in Q4. So should we should we be expecting that uh, like on an absolute basis or on a percentage basis? I guess is what I'm trying to make sure I understand.
1: Uh, we we were referring to what we've seen thus far in the quarter uh, on a percentage basis rather than a okay. dollar
5: basis. So so that 12.6% type number is still trending out of Q4. Uh, that's great. Um, and then maybe just quickly back to David's question um, on the intake centers and the number that you've been opening. Um, is, is the strategy around the intake centers right now, is that something that you're just using um, part of a, as a way to manage COVID and the idea is down the road? Those will convert to actually full shops, or is that, you know, is the intent to have those intake centers remain as intake centers as you go forward?
1: Chris, you, you may recall that this was a strategy that had been deployed by Assured in Ontario yep. uh, and uh, had, had been executed with good success at driving incremental revenue. Uh, so I would say our, our strategy is really piggybacking on what uh, we learned from Assured when they became part of our company. And, uh, and I would expect it will you know, continue to be one of the tools that we have to grow our business going forward.
5: Okay, that's fair. Um, and then just the last one for me, um, Pat. The uh, you put up some preliminary uh, conversion uh, information for the change to U.S. dollars. Um, when should we be expecting any additional information on the 2020 numbers just to so we can update the models?
4: Within the next two weeks. Okay, that's that's helpful. Okay, right, thanks, folks. That's all my questions. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.
0: Your next question comes from Michael Dume from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead; your line is open.
6: Good morning, guys. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, hey. Michael. On the um, just on the senior store sales decline, any way you could break out the cadence so far in Q1? Because at the end of March last year, you disclosed organic declines. Uh, were between 40 to 50%. So that should help ease the comp, right? Um, Or is the reason why we're seeing a similar decline to Q4, um, you know, maybe relating to the U.S. storms in February? Just a little bit of color as to why that's not easing.
1: I I would say, you know, certainly there was some impact from the storms. uh, But if you, you know, think back to the timing of when COVID hit, uh, it was really at about this time, uh, maybe slightly earlier when the pandemic was declared, uh, we had pretty good inventory. Uh, so our quarter was not terribly impacted by COVID. It was really Q2 when the, you know, <clears throat> the significant decrease in inbound opportunities translated into large revenue reductions. I think Q2, our same-store sales, were down a little over 35%, uh, and then began to recover in Q3 and then into Q4. So I, I think the... Uh, you know, we're still faced with the COVID headwinds relative to what had been a fairly normal, a fairly normal environment at least in terms of work in the shops through pretty close to the end of last quarter uh, of the first quarter last year.
6: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And then on the operating expenses, uh, those were up sequentially. I mean, as telegraphed on the Q3 call, just wondering if um, you, think you still need to add costs back um, any overheads. Um, or if at this point expense growth should generally trend with uh,
7: with revenue.
1: Well, we've uh, we've continued to uh, to bring back resources as needed uh, during Q4 and into Q1, uh, but I think that uh, in the not too distant future we'll have a pretty stable run rate on the expense side.
4: Gotcha. you. Okay.
6: Uh, and then just one last one. I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, Tim, I think you talked about, you know, how government programs were supporting industry players. And uh, I was just wondering if that was your expectation into 2021. Um, and as it relates to m and I mean, has the bid and the ask spread somewhat narrowed between, I guess, what you guys are looking to buy for and what sellers are looking to sell? Just trying to get a sense for whether, you know, there's some pent up MA activity in 2021 that we can
4: expect to see.
1: Uh, I, I think there's plenty of opportunity out there. Uh, the, we don't really comment on valuation, so I can't really make a statement on that. But we see uh, ample activity available to us in the marketplace uh, to compete for. I think we have, uh, we have talked, and the market has seen that there are other uh, private equity-backed players out there as well. But, uh, but we, we feel very good about our opportunity to, to meet our five-year plan. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thanks,
0: Michael. Your next question comes from Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
8: Goodbye, yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, uh, just a couple of follow-ups on the earlier themes, if I may. You know, the first one is, you know, Tim, just simplistically, you know, why not go faster? You know, I'm, I'm just curious here. We've seen, you know, a number of what I'll call super regional MSOs sort of evolved here over the last six to eight months that have been going at a pretty brisk pace on the M&A path. And, and you guys have started to accelerate, uh, admittedly, but I would still suggest relative to your liquidity profile, it's been relatively slow. So just maybe, maybe what's holding you back, uh, you suggest the opportunity is, is strong, uh, so why not go faster?
1: Yeah, I think that what I've seen over the, over the years, Steve, is when businesses have gotten ahead of their capacity to integrate effectively they end up stumbling and then uh, suspending growth for a period of time. Uh, So I I think the five-year plan that we've laid out uh, delivers shareholder value. We know we can execute effectively. Uh, If there were opportunities to accelerate that and to operate effectively, we would consider that. Uh, but, uh, But I think we're trying to line up resources to grow at that pace and make sure we do it very well.
8: Okay. I think that's fair. And just another one on, you know, this actually stems back to a couple quarters back now. You you had mentioned you would evaluate some opportunities in and around the larger dealer channel. Just curious if that, that sort of effort has, you know, culminated in anything significant. If you can comment on where you're at today, if you're still pursuing that. I understand there are several hundred shops still within that dealer channel that might, you know, at some point want to uh, make them, make their way out.
1: Yeah, I think dealers today have about 18% of the North American collision repair market. And uh, some dealers love being in the business and others do not. We're certainly interested in uh, in working with a dealer that has a body shop that really doesn't uh, love being in that business. But it would be just one of the elements we would look at to to grow our business going forward.
8: Okay, appreciate the
0: Our next question comes from Maggie McDougall from Steeple. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
1: Morning, Maggie. Thanks. Good morning. Good
9: morning, Maggie. Good morning. morning, everybody. Um, so first off, uh, just wanted to circle back on, a, on something that a couple of years we've already touched on a bit. Um, the increased focus on greenfield and brownfield versus MA. is there um, – an underlying reason for that in terms of market conditions or perhaps you're looking at sort of a map and seeing, you know, you'd like a larger facility or one with newer equipment in a specific region and filling a hole. Um, and I'm just guessing. Uh, so, so any color you can give us in terms of why that approach today and um, how we should be thinking about, secondly, the economics of Greenfield-Brownfield versus uh, acquisition.
1: Yeah, I think anytime we've decided that we would like to enter a market, we would look at the, uh, the way that makes the most sense for us to enter the market. Historically, uh, we've entered through single shop acquisitions or for platforms, multi-shop acquisitions, and we've occasionally done a green field or a brown field, uh, but it has not been in a, uh, an organized, intentional uh, manner. Uh, we've now moved to the point where we have that capability to drive that in-house, uh, and when we're looking at new markets, we'll evaluate the best way for us to enter that market. And if it's a greenfield or a brownfield operation, we're now very, very capable of that. Uh, you, as you might expect, uh, a greenfield or brownfield opportunity uh, would have a lower investment than acquiring something that has revenue and goodwill. Uh, so the upfront investment is lower. It does take a little longer to build the revenue, so the you know the returns could come a little bit more slowly. But ultimately, we think we would get to a similar place in terms of revenue. So it should have higher ROIC characteristics than the two other main alternatives that we've got, you know, being single shop and then MSOs. So it's just uh, I guess in addition to that, Maggie. Uh, there are markets that may be emerging markets or markets where there's been a firmer amount of growth that could be attractive to us that there isn't a, uh, an acquisition alternative to get into, uh, and those would be uh, areas where greenfield or brownfield may be our only viable choice.
4: Maggie, just right. to supplement, typically we underwrite the single shops to 25% pre-tax ROIC, and we expect a better ROIC on these brownfields and greenfields.
9: Thanks, Pat. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, is this strategy, I mean, you've, it sounds like you've increased your internal capabilities, but it, it also seems as though um, this strategy is more doable perhaps in this current employment environment and just given the state of the economy. There's likely more human resources and perhaps even physical opportunities in terms of leaseholds and so on available.
1: Yeah, there there may be more fiscal opportunities with uh, if vacancies are up. Uh, I'd say that uh, I don't have uh, I don't have an expectation that the labor market won't be tight again in the in at least in the U.S. market. So uh, mm-hmm. I think these are long term. You know, for us to open a greenfield facility, uh, a short greenfield would probably be close to a year. A brownfield would be less. You know, and it, it could take longer. So we have to look at these with a longer term perspective. Uh, and the labor market, uh, well, that's always something we think about. That wouldn't drive our thinking on Greenfield-Brownfield.
9: Okay, thank you. Um, just one more question from me. Uh, you've talked a couple of quarters now about introducing your WOW operating way into your corporate function. Um Could you provide us with an update in terms of, you know, what are you doing with that? Um, is there some centralization or... Uh, you know, operational efficiency that you expect to gain from that, either in terms of processes, uh, outright cost, or perhaps it will create some leverage for you within your platform to be able to do more with the same resources.
4: Sure, Maggie. I'll be happy to give an update on that. Yeah, we are essentially rolling out this uh, operating way in our strategic support services, finance, HR, procurement, and areas like that. Uh, it entails both reengineering the processes as well as implementing a, a technology solution that will help us uh, take the company to the next level and uh, our expectations to get it done by this project before the end of the year. And uh, we'll realize uh, a meaningful savings uh, from this uh, exercise.
9: Thanks, Pat. Um, nice speaking with you guys. I hope you have a good day.
1: Thanks, Maggie. You Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from Daryl Young from TD Securities. Please go ahead, your line is open. Good
1: morning, Daryl. Good morning, gentlemen. Good
4: morning
7: Daryl. Good morning, um, just a couple of quick questions for me. So first, um, with the entrance of private equity and, and uh, the rise of some of these uh, maybe super regionals, does this change at all the insurance dynamic in terms of, of pricing or allocation of work in those regions um, that where, where there may be increased competition? Or any longer-term impacts that you can think of?
1: I, I haven't seen any sign of that, Daryl. I think the uh, you know, we're well positioned with our insurance clients, and our focus is really on making sure that we're meeting or exceeding their expectations. And as we do that, I think it takes care of itself. Um, you know, the The nationals still have an advantage over the regionals, uh, and I would expect that to continue. We also in most of our markets have a pretty extensive network that we built up. But uh you know it's it's still competition, but uh but the uh our relationship with the insurance carriers doesn't seem to have been impacted by it to date.
7: Gotcha, got okay. and then on the margin front, uh historically I think you've said same store sales has been one of the, the biggest drivers of the uh historic thirty to fifty basis points of, of margin improvement. Um as we look out, you're, you've been adding stores, obviously, and even the 2019 stores that got added, maybe uh, all that operating leverage wasn't seen. Is there anything to change that dynamic, or could we almost expect two years of, of catch-up come 2020 when when same-store sales reaccelerate and and lap 2019 levels? In terms of the margin growth.
4: Yeah, we, we our expectation is you know, that we'll uh, go back to getting uh, – more same store sales growth, and with that, we do have the operating leverage. And so, we are optimistic about uh, getting those things uh, as uh, business conditions stabilize.
7: Perfect. Okay, thanks very much, guys.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Daryl.
0: Your next question comes from Brett Jordan from Jefferies. Please go ahead, your line is open.
1: Hey, good morning,
10: guys. Morning, Brett. Morning, Brett. Did you talk about, I guess, sort of the cadence of market share consolidation, and I guess you've got the national MSOs, you've got more super regionals. When you think about the single shop operators, um, are they shrinking at an accelerating rate just given the increasingly competitive environment? And I guess, you know, the inverse being if they survived last year, does that mean that they're relatively stable and can
1: generally survive into the future? Well, I think... 60% Sixty percent of the market are very close to it. Still, remains single shops, and, right. and so while there is, you know, increased activity from private equity, uh, there's still a pretty large pool of uh, of single shops in the marketplace, and and many of them, many are likely interested in selling at some point. Uh, so I think the uh, you know, there probably will be maybe a more rapid absorption of some of those single shops uh but you also see companies focusing on you know developing as well uh, such as we're doing uh so i think the uh that should help to keep prices rational for that uh because we do have alternatives to get into markets but i do think that there could be some you know further acceleration as a result of the, the regional players coming in with private equity money Brett yeah. uh, also question, last yeah. year
4: just just because they survived last year doesn't mean they're going to survive because uh, they got the life support from uh CARES Act and uh, Recovery Act and things like that, so that that may go away. Then we have to see how vulnerable they are. And the other one is uh, the tax reform. The tax reform could change the dynamics in terms of the capital gains, and that could also uh, change the thinking of, uh, of the single shop owners. So those are the couple of other factors to keep in mind. Okay, great.
10: And then a question, I guess, on total rates. It seemed like the fourth quarter was just just over twenty one percent of crashes were totaled. Do you see that sort of being a spike that was driven by the pandemic and we may moderate total rates or is that just a longer term trend where we see a higher percentage of cars going to salvage versus repair?
1: There's certainly been an upward trend that's been pretty steady over the past five years on total loss rates. So I think a piece of it was probably uh, a continuation of that trend. Uh, but there there were other factors, and I don't think we'll ever – Until we get another year or two behind us, I'm not sure we'll know, but as has been reported, uh, there were more high-speed crashes uh, through the pandemic because of the lack of congestion and miles traveled, Uh, and so there were higher levels of damage. That may well have contributed to the total loss percentage as well, Uh, but I think it's too early to know, know whether that's the new bar or whether it will fall back a little bit and maybe continue its slow upward trend. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, Brad.
6: Sorry, Tim, Tim, if I just might add, just for clarity, uh, you're correct. The, the in, in terms of the more high-speed crashes, you're referring to the mix as opposed to the absolute number because the market was down. So we're talking about a greater percentage of high-speed crashes in the mix of overall crashes. I don't yeah, want anyone right. to interpret it to be that there were more crashes because there weren't.
1: Thanks,
0: nice. Brock. As a reminder to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one. Your next question will come from Zachary Evershed from National Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good
11: morning, folks. Good morning. I was hoping you could give us a little more commentary on maybe how long Texas locations were offline due to power outages. Uh, Whether you're seeing any kind of offset from additional collisions due to the severe winter weather and maybe the magnitude of the impact on operations in other southern states Uh,
1: We it it wasn't material enough for us to disclose separately um, But we did have locations that were shut down for multiple days Uh, There was also some supply disruption uh, suppliers that couldn't get to us or weren't didn't have employees out on the road that, uh, that created you know, production shutdown or production issues. Um, the, uh, the storms that hit the south weren't isolated to Texas. Uh, it hit most of the southern states, uh, and uh, as many people appreciate, uh, many of the southern states in the US are really not set up well uh, to handle ice and snow on their roads. They don't have the equipment to mitigate it and make the roads passable. So uh, unfortunately for the collision industry, when those types of events happen in those environments, most people choose not to drive. So it it really uh, doesn't create the same type of increased demand that we would get in northern markets where people are comfortable driving in that and the uh, municipalities have the, the equipment to clear the roads. That's helpful, thanks.
11: And then separately, we were talking about miles driven, making a comeback, but the traffic patterns, the concentration in rush hour traffic that drives a pretty big proportion of collisions, it's not quite there yet. For your own internal projections, when do you assume
1: traffic patterns normalize? We, we aren't really making any projections. I mean, we, we may noodle around with that internally, but we don't disclose our projections on that. Fair enough.
11: And then one last one: As the insurers seem to be directing traffic to larger operators first, are you seeing an uptick in smaller owner operators looking to sell? Uh,
1: I don't know if I characterize it as an uptick, but we uh, we have uh, we're confident in our ability to achieve our growth plan based on you know, what we see in our pipeline and how we're managing our pipeline. All right. Thank you. I'll turn it over.
11: Thank Thanks, you.
0: Jeffrey. Our last question will come from Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Please go ahead, the line is open.
8: Yeah, just one quick follow-up, guys. I, I doubt it's an issue as yet, but just noticing that we're seeing some auto production lines start to cut production on on ship availability. Is there does any of that impact the repair supply chain at all? Or has it yet? I know collisions are down, but just wondering if there's any shortages of materials um, within the system. Thanks
1: we've we've had some reports from the field Steve that uh, that we have repairs that are being delayed uh, by a lack of parts availability I'm not sure the chip issue has hit the aftermarket yet uh, but uh, there are other supply issues uh, that have had some impact Uh, at this point it it hasn't been anything that's been overly significant to us and in fact it, it may be greater than what it's been historically but there are generally supply issues that slow down some repairs, uh, and uh, and it may take you know a month to get apart or six weeks to get apart, which is unfortunate and you know doesn't make customers very happy, but we manage our way through those issues.
8: Okay, very good. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Chief.
0: We have no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Tim O'Day for closing remarks.
1: Very good. Thank you, operator. And thank you uh, all, once again, for joining our call today. And we look forward to reporting our first quarter results in May. Thanks again, and have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect